mornings. I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it's not just COVID. Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi explains the importance of their new communicable disease dashboard. We'll also talk about the rollout of their latest community health assessment effort. Also this morning, Senator Sherrod Brown shares his thoughts on what's being called the bipartisan anti-gun violence bill, the first such legislation in three decades, as well as passage of the PACT Act, a measure to help veterans suffering from toxic exposure. And Free the Animals, the groundbreaking book that called widespread attention to the mistreatment of lab animals in experimentation and product testing, has been updated and re-released for its 30th anniversary. We'll take a closer look. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. If you're looking for a reason to celebrate, it is Let It Go Day. Just let it go. Let it go. It's not that important. Just let it go. International Widows Day. National Pink Day. National Pink Flamingos Day. National Pecan Sandies Day, National Hydration Day. Again, very appropriate given how warm it has been this week. National Hydration Day, SAT Math Day, Typewriting Day today in honor of the patent uh, issued uh, for the uh, typewriter on this date in 1868. Patent issued for the uh, typewriter. It's really interesting. Um, if you have never done this, you can explain to your kids why the keyboard on their computer or even on their uh, smartphone, the uh, virtual keyboard on their smartphone, why the keyboard is arranged, uh, the letters on the keyboard are arranged the way they are. Uh, and, and if you don't know yourself, uh, you can look that up, but it has to do with the very first typewriter all the way back in 1868. So in 2022, the arrangement of the virtual keyboard on our phone has to do with the arrangement of the keys on the very first typewriter uh, all those many years ago. Typewriting day today. National Detroit-style pizza day, and it is runner's selfie day, although that strikes me as being very dangerous. You know, Running, you don't want to take a selfie, but runner's selfie day. Uh, let's see here. So here is big news among the first things you need to know this morning in case you needed something else to be self-conscious about. Apparently, there are people out there who are decorating the backgrounds of our Zoom calls. You can actually hire a decorating company who will come in and make the background of your Zoom call uh, as aesthetically pleasing as possible and make sure that it the background of your zoom call paints you in a more positive light Uh, with the increasing use of zoom for remote work and remote school and uh, all of that a whole new squad of decorator police has emerged to curate people's zoom backgrounds for public display this is a thing now apparently there is a report in the New York Times uh, on this, which was sparked by the fact that one of the reporters for the Times, Emma Goldberg, uh, apparently was dismayed to learn that she had only earned a 3 out of 10 rating from Room Raider, <laughs> which is a, a Twitter-based Zoom background consultant. 
So apparently we've created a new job category with the pandemic. Really? Is this something that is that uh, is that serious? Is that we have to be concerned about to that extent? I don't know. But apparently so. Uh, let's see. So something else we can be self-conscious or ang- anxious about is backgrounds of our Zoom calls. Um, you heard about this in the news. The Food and Drug Administration expected to issue a ban on sales of Juul in the United States. That's the uh, brand of e-cigarettes that has, in recent years, been accused of marketing to underage consumers, even though it's illegal to sell to kids. Uh, according to a report in the Wall Street Journal, vaping as an alternative to smoking cigarettes has become a hot trend in recent years, but the FDA is concerned that kids are becoming addicted to nicotine through these jewel products, and they are set to pull them from shelves, order them withdrawn from shelves as soon as today. From what I understand, the American Lung Association says a single jewel pod contains as much nicotine as an entire pack of cigarettes, which if you know anything about Juul, that's what they're designed. Each pod is designed to replace a pack of cigarettes. So not surprising. Say they're getting kids hooked and uh, the uh, product needs to go. So <coughs> excuse me. That <coughs> I swallowed wrong there. I, I apologize. <coughs> what I wonder is, uh, does that mean that all of the Juul uh, devices that are out there, because they're worthless without the pods, uh, now will become worthless. If you can't buy the pods, then it'll become totally worthless. So I guess if you are a uh, Juul, the, the, the problem is that uh, many smokers have kicked the tobacco habit by the use of these uh, vaping devices instead. So I wonder, does that mean that uh, some of these people go back to tobacco? I don't know. Anyway, by the way, Jewel owned by uh, Altria, which is one of the uh, big tobacco companies. Um, so they're fine. They're going to be fine either way, I guess, with respect to that. So, Speaking of uh, health, the annual U.S. News and World Report uh, report on the healthiest communities is out. And Los Alamos County, New Mexico, for the third year in a row, is tops on the list. The healthiest community in the country. Uh, Los Alamos County, New Mexico, Fairfax County, Virginia, tops the list in the mental health category in Fairfax County, right outside of D.C. And that's tops for mental mental health. <laughs> that's a bit of a surprise. Uh, Florence County, Wisconsin, takes the lead in environmental health. The uh, ranking takes environment, education, equity, uh, health, public safety and the economy into consideration, among other metrics. So healthiest communities uh, in America. I'm not sure where uh, Ohio's communities rank. I haven't seen the full length uh, ranking. I'll have to uh, look that up and see where uh, where we rank among those. Health authorities in the United Kingdom have declared a national incident after evidence suggesting spread of polio has turned up in London. And there have been no cases of polio identified And they say the risk to the public is low, but health officials are urging people who are not fully immunized, particularly young children, to get vaccinated immediately. Are we okay with the polio vaccine? 
I hope. I, I That is one thing we definitely don't want to see a resurgence of. In that country, in this country, or anywhere. Uh, and we that's one of those things we thought we had whooped. But these days, with the apprehension of vaccines in general, well, you don't want a resurgence of that. The UK Health Security Agency said people in communities with low vaccine coverage could be at risk. It's the latest thing we have to be concerned about, apparently, is a resurgence of polio. They're worried about it in the UK. Uh, let's see here. And a couple of other uh, things among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Here is uh, some good news for the Buckeye State. Central Ohio is apparently home to America's most spirited high school. The National Sports Equipment and Apparel Company Varsity Brands have awarded their top award for the most for America's most spirited high school. The top award goes to Olentangy Berlin High School in Delaware, Delaware, Ohio. That is Olentangy, uh, Olentangy Berlin. The uh, school will get a twenty-five thousand dollar award for the honor. Varsity Brands awarded schools across the country for going above and beyond to build school pride, student engagement. And community spirits. So, congratulations, Olentangy Berlin High School, Delaware. That's pretty cool. They're an honor to uh, the Buckeye State. And uh, how about this? <laughs> I saw this story. I give you a bit of a uh, chuckle here. Among the first things that you need to know, the definitely one of the most buzzworthy stories of the day: a Tesla Model S that had been sitting in a junkyard in California for several weeks spontaneously burst into flames earlier this week. It had been just sitting at the junkyard. It had been damaged in an accident earlier this month and was sitting untouched in a junkyard in Rancho Cordova, California, when it erupted into a massive fire. Nobody touched it, it just spontaneously combusted. And here's what makes the story really interesting. Every time firefighters would come to the junkyard to put the fire out, the car's battery would reignite and start flaming all over again. Eventually, the only way they could get it out for good, officials had to use a tractor to create a massive pit in the ground and then fill it with water over 4,500 gallons of water, and then they submerged the entire uh, car. (laughs) That's the only way they could finally put the flames out for good. (laughs) So, in California, where water is very scarce to begin with, uh, they not only had the uh, firefighters come out and extinguish the flames multiple times, but then they had to waste 4,500 gallons of water to submerge (laughs) this Tesla S to get it to stop bursting into flames um so so much for your environmental friendliness of uh, this particular vehicle it is the uh, latest just the latest in a string of accidents where teslas have randomly caught fire so (laughs) thinking we may need to rethink that whole uh environmentally friendly kind of thing there you go some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. 
WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected again today with a high in the mid-80s. It'll be mostly clear tonight, low of 61. The youngsters taking part in Camp 911 in Finley got to see a life flight helicopter close up and even talk to the crew. What do you think, Levi? Pretty neat? Yeah. yeah? I'm liking this whole thing. The kids are also learning about things like online safety, fire safety, when and how to call 911, and they even got to see some police canines in action. Learn more about the camp and see video from this week's activities on the website. The head of the Ohio Education Association says he's against arming teachers and other school employees. Scott DeMauro is the president of the OEA. He says guns can and have been left unprotected by staff, and there's no clear evidence to him that armed staff makes a school safer. Plus, the vast majority of educators do not think that it's a good idea. I hear from our members that tell me all the time, there is enough on their plates. They have so many things that they already need to worry about. This is one more pressure that I think gets put on the system that makes it harder to attract and retain good people in our profession. Dave James, in News. The bill that the governor signed into law reduces the hours of training required for teachers to carry guns from 700 to as little as 24. Get more on the new law on the website. The Ohio State football program has landed yet another highly rated wide receiver as Noah Rogers of North Carolina announces he'll be a Buckeye. Rogers is the ninth ranked receiver and the number 50 player overall in the country by 24-7 sports for the class of 2023. Yesterday, five-star receiver Brandon Innes committed to the Buckeyes and five-star receiver Carnell Tate pledged to OSU on Monday. I'm Lisa Taylor. The Putnam County Fair is being held this week. The fair runs through Saturday at the fairgrounds in Ottawa. Today is Senior Citizens Day at the fair, and all seniors 62 and older will be admitted free all day. You can check out the full fair schedule on the website. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning, we are joined by uh, Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, something that they launched uh, about a month or so ago on their website. It is a new communicable disease dashboard. And uh, Kareem, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. Uh, first of all, uh, this is not uh, altogether different from the uh, COVID dashboard that had been done during the pandemic, right? That's correct. Good morning, Chris, and congratulations on 20 years oh, being well, on the thank air. Oh, very much. The trusted voice Appreciate here it. in the morning. <laughs> so, um, yes, I think uh, that 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 uh, whole idea of the dashboard uh, came from COVID, and you know how uh, everybody was kind of um, uh, looking for information, looking for data, looking for um, you know real stories within the numbers. Um, so um, I think uh, when when we uh, started transitioning, you know, into a different phase of the of the COVID, uh, we figured, okay, you know what, some some of the information we deal with day in day out and throughout the year might be helpful to our citizens, along with you know um, some empowerment through education about the different diseases that are circulating in our community, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So that's how the whole idea came about, and we figured this is going to be a, a great resource, um, not only for the average citizen who can go and um, and see at the at the zip code level uh, what's going on in their community, you know, as far as um, as uh, health concerns, um, but um, for researchers, for for students, um, for other agencies. 
uh, even for primary doctors, if I'm seeing somebody and, you know, uh, they're from a certain area, I can go back to that dashboard and, and look up some information, see what's going on there. So how does uh, the average citizen kind of interpret this data? Because one of the things that we talked about uh, during the uh, pandemic is uh, interpreting some of the data uh, on COVID uh, in terms of infections versus hospitalizations and, and so on, and what's the more important number to uh, look at and so on and so forth. So how do we interpret this data with respect to some of these other uh, communicable diseases? Yeah, the, the, the dashboard that we have um, live um, on our website, um, it, will, it will take you to different tabs, and it's a it's work in progress, so we add tabs as we, as we feel the need to. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the way we look at that data is just to give you a general overview of what's going on and, you know, in a particular you know, um, snapshot in time. Um, it will trigger a conversation, whether with your healthcare professional, it will trigger a conversation with, uh, uh, with, your, uh, with your public health department and, you know, um, and uh, to kind of find out more. Uh, the beauty of this uh, tool is um, on each and every page of, of the disease we're reporting on, um, there will be links to national uh, websites and trusted websites as CDC, Ohio Department of Health, uh, information that um, the average consumer can go and read about symptoms, how to deal with the with the infection, what to do next, um, steps they can take to protect themselves and their families. And uh, just to give folks an idea, if they haven't seen the uh, dashboard, uh, this is pretty comprehensive from uh, fairly common uh, conditions all the way up to uh, things that are more I don't want to say exotic or rare or anything, but uh, you know STDs and and things like that. I mean, you know, this is pretty wide ranging, yeah. and it does still include COVID, by the way. Absolutely, it does include COVID. Uh, we've got a lot of feedback from um, from our population who really looked at the dashboard a couple, uh, you know, months ago when we first launched it and said, "Well, we want more um, uh, more COVID um, easy to read data, mm-hmm. um, you know, color coding where you know are we in the low transmission." Um, so on and so forth. So we are still releasing a little bit of COVID um, data, um, you know, uh, once a week at least. Uh, but this is um, uh, this is a little more comprehensive. Saying, okay, you know what? Beyond COVID, public health existed for a hundred years, right. dealing with those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the more informed our population is about those communicable disease, um, the more protected we are as a community. Uh, speaking of which, with respect to uh, COVID, uh, here in the past month or so, uh, started to hear more stories about an uptick in uh, infections. We are still in the in the low transmission, uh, low community transmission, right? So is that's not necessarily a huge concern, especially since we've kind of transitioned. We've talked about this before. We've kind of transmi- uh, transitioned to uh, paying closer attention to the hospitalizations rather than the number of cases, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, we are in totally different phase. We have um, we have therapeutics now for COVID. Uh, we have vaccines available uh, for almost all all age groups right now. Uh, there's a way we protect ourselves from COVID. Uh, and uh, COVID, you know, as the variants and subvariants are coming along, um, they are proven to be to be weakening. Um, like you know, and following the uh, the trajectory of all uh, you know new diseases that we've seen through the the history here. Um, so it is weakening a little bit. That doesn't mean that we should ignore it altogether. Uh, it's always good to get vaccinated and, and be protected. 
Um, the little uptick we had, um, it was very minimal compared to what we've seen around the state and around the, the, the country and globally, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. which is great news. That means our citizens are really taking this seriously. Um, they're staying at home if they're sick. Uh, they are uh, seeking vaccinations. They're seeking therapeutics with their providers. Um, so people are doing what they need to do with COVID. And that's why um, our, our surge didn't seem to be um, too, uh, too bad. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, we, we are still uh, monitoring the COVID situation. Speaking of uh, vaccinations, recently the uh, CDC given the thumbs up to uh, vaccinations for uh, the youngest uh, youngest individuals, youngest children um, that were uh, previously ineligible for uh, vaccines. What has been? Have you seen any uh, reaction? I think those uh, were scheduled to start going into arms this week. I don't know. Is is that something that is available here locally? Has there been uh, any demand, questions, reaction from that locally? Uh, we've had few questions from uh, concerned citizens and parents who mm-hmm. wants their kids protected, especially as we are, um, you know, moving beyond summer a little bit and going into the fall. Uh, we are going to make those available starting next week. Okay. Uh, we, we did order the vaccines um, and, um, you know, the standing orders uh, are to be signed, uh, put all the logistics in place, and uh, we're going to start offering those uh, next week. Uh, it will be on a you know, walk-in basis. You, you mentioned, and, and this is uh, significant, I think, uh, worth uh, pointing out, uh, you talk about how we're moving past the summer. For a lot of folks, uh, summer's just getting started, but... Again, with the time it takes for immunity to build from a vaccine, you're really looking at vaccinating now for back to school time. Absolutely. That, that's an excellent point because uh, now we want to kind of uh, shore our defenses to what might come in the fall. Um, and hopefully what's coming in the fall, um, it will be, you know, uh, similar to the flu. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, uh, it's threatening and, and we should be should be careful with that is there uh is there any concern with and and again in in looking at some of the uh national news reports with respect to the uh children's vaccines with the adult boosters there uh, seems to be some hesitation uh among uh some uh, individuals about the need and about the uh safety uh aspects especially with the uh, with the young kids is there concern that that will trickle down uh I think safety-wise, we've talked a lot about that the last couple of years right. on how rigorous of a, of a process, you know, uh, approving a vaccine will go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think safety should not be a concern um, as far as a need. Um, uh, at some point, we're all going to get COVID or some type of their sub-variants because we're out, we're, we're, we're back open. Um, and we're interacting, we're reconnecting, which is a great thing too. Right. Um, it's it's important that we protect ourselves from what's circulating, just like we do with the flu every year. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to keep that in mind moving forward. Uh, got a couple of minutes here that I want to uh, talk a, a little bit about the uh, community health assessment, the uh, latest uh, effort, and this is you know something that is done every so often, every couple of years or so. Uh, you've got the report uh, on the uh, latest health assessment coming out next week, right? That is correct, and um, this is this is great news. Um, we did survey the population for the health assessment. We do those surveys, you know, cyclical on a three-year cycle. Okay, um, and um, you know, uh, beyond you know, during COVID, we did decide as a as a community and. Uh, 
um, a whole bunch, you know, a big coalition working on that on that project. It's not public health alone. It's the hospital, the Adams Board, um, the United Way, the Community Foundation, um, the, the county schools, the city schools, um, the uh, recreation, the YMCA, a whole bunch of coalition to what we consider as the public health system in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we come together every three years to, to commission, um, you know, that, that survey. The survey was done back in the fall. Um, you know, we hired a consultant out of uh, the University of Toledo to, uh, to, to do the study and make it scientific, and so we can use that data. They came, they're, com- they're coming back now and uh, saying our report is ready, and uh, uh, we, uh, I glanced through the report um, uh, quickly, uh, but the report is to be released next Thursday at 10 a.m., um, the release this year, it's not going to be a, pub- a public event per se in person. We're going to release it online. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, there's benefits to that where, you know, uh, citizens can on their own schedule go and look at the uh, 30 or so minute video that talks about the summary of what's coming in the report. The actual report is about 100 page long. Um, but that summary should give you an idea what's what's coming. A lot of uh, comprehensive information about uh, health, uh, the health of our uh, community, and and where it is heading, where it has been, where it is heading. So look forward to that uh, next week as well. Again, Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baruti with us uh, this morning. Kareem, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate you, Chris. Turning our attention now to some of the big national stories of the day. One of the big stories this week is the bipartisan group of senators that have reached a deal to address gun violence. Uh, There has been a great deal of political pressure on both sides surrounding this legislation, trying to fast-track this for a vote yet this week. Senator Sherrod Brown joins us on the line this morning. Your thoughts on what made it into the final bill here? I think it was a very good step. We, I don't know much of anybody. I mean, plenty of gun owners I talk to about this and plenty of people that aren't gun owners that just think it's not right that somebody can go in on their 18th birthday and buy an assault weapon with essentially no background check and no waiting period. Uh, so this bill has addressed that. This bill will be, it, it has red flag laws to make sure that someone who has a past of gun violence or, or, um, uh, uh, violence against against their spouse um, or mental health issues that might lead to gun violence that they can't get a gun. Um, it uh, it does a number of things that just uh, in mental health areas. This is a this is mostly a gun problem because countries around the world have mental health problems like we do, um, and there are just too many assault weapons, too many of those guns on the street available to people that that shouldn't have them. So this bill protects the Second Amendment. It's got strong bipartisan support. The, the Republican leader and the Democratic leader of the Senate are both for it, and it makes sense. It will help us address some of the terrible terrible mask shootings that we read about far too often. Many of your fellow Democrats say that it does not go far enough. I'm assuming that, that you will keep trying for more, but with this being the first piece of gun legislation in some 30 years, realistically, is this as much as you're going to get? Well, I think for now, this is what will happen. And uh, I think most of us think it's a really good first step. I think that conservatives who have um, who have been friends of the NRA, a lot of them think this is a reasonable step that are voting for it. Um, about a third of the Republican members of the Senate are supporting it, including um, Senator Portman and me both as uh, the Republican and Democratic senators from Ohio. So um, I, I think that we will see how this works. This will not end gun violence. It won't end mass shootings. 
things, but there will be we will read about them less frequently as a result of this bill, and um, that's really, really, really important. I want to also uh, ask about your efforts to push through the so-called PACT Act. That is a measure that we've talked about on the program before, most recently right around Memorial Day with the head of the American Legion on this program. That offers uh, help for veterans suffering from toxic exposure, and you are one of the uh, key uh, driving points in getting that legislation passed. Yeah, this is a really, really big deal, and it was done uh, well by both parties in the Veterans Committee. I've sat on the Veterans Committee for my whole Senate career longer than any Ohioan ever has. It's the most, it's the least partisan committee in the Senate. Um, this bill finally we're addressing the same way we did Agent Orange. Uh, too slowly with Agent Orange that did Congress respond and the VA respond and the DOD respond, Department of Defense respond, but um, we're, it's going to mean that people exposed to these awful burn pits uh, where with these huge football field size burn pits where, where all kinds of hazardous materials were burned, tires and medical wastes and, and human wastes and all kinds of things uh, were, were burned and, and men and women were exposed to it and, and in our armed services, so they will get the health care they need. Uh, this is a huge victory. It was named after um, named after Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, who died of of his exposure from Columbus, Ohio. Um, his mother-in-law and wife and uh, and daughter came to um, all of this, all of the the lobbying for this bill to inform my colleagues and came to the um, and will come to the bill signing. I assume I've invited them when President Biden signs the bill, but it's, it's a huge victory for veterans. It's about time we did it. Uh, and uh, real quickly, uh, in about 20 seconds that we have left, the uh, president has announced he wants a federal gas tax holiday, made that amount, uh, amount yesterday. Uh, it got lukewarm response in Congress. Your thoughts? I, I support it if the money actually goes to motorists as a rebate or as a lower price and that the oil companies don't take part of it. But I think the better way, frankly, is an excess profits tax on the oil industry who have profiteered from the pandemic and since. And uh, those dollars from the excess profits tax should go uh, to motorists, should go as rebates to, to American consumers. Senator Sherrod Brown, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks. 20 years of good mornings on WFIN. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Uh, kind of a light day in the uh, broken news this morning. Not a whole lot going on, but... Uh, this is kind of interesting. A, a man in Mississippi arrested after throwing meth into the face of an officer. <laughs> yeah, that'll generally get you into trouble. You don't want to do that. Uh, Todd Adams pulled over for a simple traffic violation. Uh, then he ran from deputies who gave chase. When he was tased, Mr. Adams then threw his methamphetamine in the deputy's face. He... Uh, he got away, once again, was later found hiding under a trailer and was finally taken in. A search of his car found more methamphetamine, hydrocodone, codeine, and marijuana. The uh, injured deputy treated at a local hospital. He's going to be fine. But, uh, <laughs> Mr. Adams is in a whole lot of trouble. So, what makes you... This is the part that I don't understand. And maybe it's because, you know, I don't have a criminal mind. But... 
when you're when you're facing you get pulled over for a simple traffic violation what makes you think all of a sudden well i'm gonna run that's the that's the better option i'm gonna run from the guy and then when you get tased i'm gonna throw my drugs in an officer's face that'll be a good idea that'll that'll make the situation better i don't know i would not make a very good criminal because i don't think that way you know what i mean uh, speaking of uh, drugs, officials with the Clay County Sheriff's Office in Kentucky uh, said deputies responded to a complaint about an unresponsive man passed out in a FedEx truck. <laughs> Investigators determined the suspect was under the influence. Colton Withrow was arrested and charged with public intoxication of a controlled substance, several possession charges, and improper parking. <laughs> Just for good measure, just for good measure, they threw in an improper parking charge. (laughs) Deputies found they found a crystal-like substance, suspected marijuana, and a glass pipe uh, in Mr. Withrow's possession uh, during a search. (laughs) All right. This is a crazy story. Um... Jen, Jeremy and Sarah Henson uh, went on vacation recently. I'm not sure where uh, they're from. They were vacationing in Las Vegas for a week, and uh, they dropped off their their dog Dexter at a uh, at a kennel, you know, before heading out for vacation. Uh, three days into their vacation, week long vacation, three days later. They get a notification on their phone from their ring doorbell. If you have one of those smart doorbells, you know, somebody uh, comes up to your to your door. The motion detector sends you an alert on on your phone. So they get a a motion alert on their phone from their uh, doorbell. And lo and behold, it's their dog whining to be let in. (laughs) The dog that they had dropped off at the uh, at the kennel was at their front door whining to be let in. Turns out Dexter had to scale a six-foot fence <laughs> and uh, trek two miles to get back home. Uh, but he was bound and determined, obviously, said Mr. Hansen. He didn't understand the fact that we were gone. He just thought that they had dropped him off and hadn't come back. And he said, uh, our dog Dexter takes his job protecting us very seriously, so he had to get back home. Uh, the couple did their best to calm Dexter down uh, through the uh, voice thing. Because, again, with those uh, smart doorbells uh, cameras, you can actually talk to whoever it is at your front door. So they're talking with their dog, trying to calm him down while they contacted the uh, daycare to uh, come and get him. But they weren't exactly surprised he escaped. He's a very, very smart dog, and uh, his intelligence can get him into trouble sometimes, <laughs> they said. So. How crazy is that? You're on vacation. You get a notification from your doorbell that your dog is trying to get back in. Oh, my goodness. All is well that ends well, though, in that story. So that is good. Uh, Speaking of uh, people on vacation, police in Italy uh, have fined a 28-year-old American woman and her 29-year-old companion after they damaged the 18th century Spanish steps in central Rome with their scooters. The male of the pair was filmed riding his scooter down the ancient staircase 
and the woman filmed throwing her scooter to try to keep up with him. Uh, The two have been banned from ever returning to Italy, and specifically the Spanish Steps, which were restored in 2015. The tourists behaving badly incident comes two weeks after a man drove a rented Maserati down the steps, uh, clipping a chunk of marble under the uh, car's fender. He was also fined and banned from ever returning to the site. What is this? I mean, I understand, you know, post-pandemic people are are traveling again. They're all excited about that. But please behave yourself, people. What is is wrong with people? I don't get it. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, How about this item? Uh, Pennsylvania, speaking of travel, a Pennsylvania woman struggled to get back to Pittsburgh International Airport from a trip abroad has gone viral. Lori Hickson posted a video on TikTok about all of her travel problems. Uh, it happened to be Delta Airlines, but all the airlines have been struggling. But uh, in this case, Delta, uh, when she landed at JFK Airport in New York, the gate to her connecting flight home was changed several times and then was delayed for 12 hours. She said it took, in all, nearly 40 hours to get back to Pittsburgh from Italy. 40 hours! Doesn't take that long get from Italy to Pittsburgh. I know it's a long flight, but 40 hours? Wow. And, uh, no, I think we'll, uh, we'll just leave it there. There you go. Have another item here, but it's not necessarily worthy of the broken news. There you go. That is uh, today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news. Today's broken news report brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, This is really kind of uh, interesting. Uh, Survey that I saw, uh, 2,000 Americans, including uh, 1,200, so about half of the, little more than half of the uh, survey, uh, who have played at least one musical instrument. And uh, these are parents. One in six of them actually want their kids to learn to play the drums. (laughs) Get out your drumsticks, get ready to rock. Uh, This may be a surprising takeaway. A new study asked 2,000 Americans, including 1,200 who have played at least one instrument, to weigh in on the importance of music education. So that was the... Uh, goal of the uh, of the survey: find out uh, how Americans felt about the importance of music ed- uh, education. Of all of the uh, current and would-be parents who were polled, eighty-two percent think it's important that their kids learn to play an instrument. And the most popular preferences, uh, again, maybe a bit of a surprise. Piano was number one at eighteen percent, and I think that's you know. I don't know about uh, kids today. When I was growing up, 
It seemed like everybody took piano lessons. <laughs> I took piano lessons. Didn't last very long. I was not very proficient at it. Um, but it seemed like that was kind of a rite of passage, piano lessons. 18% said they would like to their, their kids play a piano. But number two on the list, uh, close behind at 17%, the drums. <laughs> and, and I remember uh, my parents would have killed me if I had decided to play the drums. Um, 16% said the violin, which I thought were, was interesting too. So the piano, the drums, and the violin. Meanwhile, the top instrument that kids actually want to learn is the electric guitar, <laughs> 22% in the, uh, in the survey. So parents want their kids to play the piano or the drums or the violin. Kids oh, want to play the electric guitar <laughs> because that's cool. <laughs> Well, in 1992, Ingrid Newkirk, founder of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, published a book called Free the Animals. And what Ralph Nader's Unsafe at Any Speed was to the auto industry, Free the Animals was to the animal rights movement, calling attention, uh, widespread attention to the treatment of lab animals. Well, now a uh, 30th anniversary edition of the book is out. And uh, joining us this morning is PETA senior scientist Emily Trunnell. Emily, why a 30th anniversary uh, of the book? What is new and is it still relevant today, 30 years later? Thank you so much for, for having me. So the 30th anniversary edition um, has a new foreword. It's by Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix, who actually recently bought the rights to, to the movie version of the book, which mm. is very exciting, and a new afterword, um, which I was very honored to be asked to write. We're re-releasing it in part because of the demand. It's, you know, not only is it uh, a real story about the beginnings of the animal rights movement in the U.S., it is, it's an amazing read. It's a thriller in every sense of the word. You know, it's got midnight raids, a love story, government secrecy. Um, so it's, it's a, just a fascinating book, one of those ones you pick up and won't sit down until you're finished. But it's still a critical issue, and this is what the new afterword is about. We go back and look at you know, all the experiments that the animals were rescued from in the book and figure out and, and describe how many of them are still occurring today. And so this is still a critical issue. These are things from you know, decompression experiments on animals, traumatic brain injury, blinding experiments. These are all things that are still happening in anim to animals in laboratories today. You know, when you say... PETA, uh, many people have a very strong reaction, either positively or, in, or negatively, to uh, much of what you do. And you know that, I'm sure. But what's interesting to me is that even people who do not see eye to eye on what they view as maybe your more extreme positions with respect to animal rights, most people agree that animal testing and these types of experimenting on animals is inhumane, especially when there are alternatives. So why does this type of treatment of animals keep happening when it seems like so many people are in agreement that it shouldn't? Uh, and unfortunately, there, I mean, there's several reasons there's that people just want to keep doing what they've always been doing. And, you know, despite the fact that the majority of Americans do not agree with the use of animals in biomedical research, and despite the fact that 90 to 95% of the time, sometimes up to 100% of the time, these experiments all fail to lead to treatments and cures for humans. But it makes a lot of money for, you know, money makes the world go around in so many ways. And, and animal experimentation 
is in part fueled by the fact that universities profit immensely uh, when, when their experimenter gets a, a federal grant to do anything, including animal experiments. And there's an entire industry um, built around, you know, making devices for experiments on animals, you know, um, little guillotines for rats and incinerators and all sorts of things are, are involved in, in this process. So unfortunately, a lot of it is money. So to counter that, uh, to the extent that you can, you have something called the Research Modernization Deal at PETA. Talk a little bit about the strategy behind this. The Research Modernization Deal it was developed by scientists. It's a comprehensive and the first really comprehensive strategy for phasing out the use of animals in biomedical research. And it's, it's endorsed by the National Medical Association and the National Hispanic Medical Association because Physicians really know that their patients have been waiting for cures and treatments for far too long. And meanwhile, we are testing, you know, drugs and, and trying to develop drugs in species that don't even get many of these same diseases, like Alzheimer's, for example. Um, so the research modernization deal is a, is a stepwise strategy that begins with replacing animal use in the areas with the highest failure rates. And you know, if, if implemented in another, you know, in another 30 years, we won't be discussing how these are still happening. So the ways that the research modernization deal would benefit animals uh, are, are obvious. How will it improve research? Uh, because again, at the end of the day, uh, again, opponents will say the reason for this research is to better uh, human outcomes, better human lives. So how does this improve current research? So when, you know, when, dr when new drugs are tested in animal trials, which they're currently, which is currently what happens, they end up failing when they get to humans 95% of the time. So humans are still, you know, we're, we're kind of sold this message that we do the animal test first to make sure that what we're doing is safe and effective for humans. But but those animal tests aren't actually doing that. So humans are, are still being put in positions that are risky to their health by, by, you know, not having accurate information about new drugs and new methods. Um, so what the research modernization deal does is shift that funding to more modern human relevant research methods. NIH, the National Institutes of Health, which funds the majority of this research actually in the world, still gives roughly half of their annual budget, which is their annual budget is about $40 billion. Still gives half of that to experiments on animals, despite the fact that we have methods like there are things called organs on ships that, that you can take a, a sampling of cells very non-invasively from, from the skin of a patient and create an organ on a chip that is personalized to that person and be able to, to test drugs and, and, and study that person's own biology. So this is really the way of, of the future in medicine. And we would like to see more funding for those areas and, and not for, for harming animals. Again, uh, Emily Trunnell is a PETA senior scientist uh, talking about the uh, 30th anniversary re-release of the book Th uh, Free the Animals, which really... Um, in 1992, uh, called attention to the treatment of lab animals and what these uh, uh, animals experience and really opened a lot of eyes now being re-released for the 30th anniversary. 
And where do folks get more information on this? And uh, we mentioned the research modernization deal, where you would like to see research go, uh, as you were saying, 30 years from now. Hopefully we won't be still talking about this. Where do we get more information? Listeners can visit PETA.org, P-E-T-A.org, and find more information about the 30th anniversary edition of Free the Animals, you know, where they can buy it online or uh, check your local bookstores and libraries. And also at PETA.org, you can learn more about the research modernization deal and the steps in that plan. Emily, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that, of course, goodmornings.net. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.